0: Welcome. Do you want to do
1: it? Welcome. Welcome to Inside the Hive. Welcome to Inside the Hive with your host Nick Belton and my and, guest and his guest is Kamel Nanjiani. That's I'm so excited to have you here.
0: It's I I don't know if you remember, but I reached out to you like, a year ago, and I said, hey, you want to come on the podcast? And you were like, I'm too fucking
1: busy for you. I did not mean it. like You didn't actually well, say that. Well, this is what happened. Yeah. I did so much press for almost a full year. On the that, big sick? Yeah, that then I decided to take six months completely off from being, like, doing literally anything. So I didn't promote Silicon Valley that season. I just was like... I don't want to be in front of people for a solid six months.
0: Well, thanks for... You're going to be here for a solid six months. We're going to... This is a six-month-long podcast. I'm
1: very into it. I,
0: I want to start with a little story for our listeners about how you and I met. And um, so we were... I was I was in... What's that restaurant called? I want to say it's called Farm Table. That's but it's, right. That's is right. It, is
1: that what it is? I had gone
0: to a, a meeting. I I decided to stop at this restaurant for for uh, lunch. I was sitting at the bar next to I next to you. We we start chatting. I think we followed each other on Twitter. And it was me and Martin Starr. Right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And we had a great ch- time. And then uh, I said, see you guys later. This is, I think, first season of Silicon Valley. Yeah, Maybe it might have been second season. Second season. There. And I went home, and uh, a friend of mine, I said to him, Oh, I, I, I mentioned that I, I met you today. Uh, and he goes, Oh, I saw him carrying a giant dick <laughs> into his house. Can you tell us the story of, of what, that,
1: what that was? What okay, that, so the giant penis was. It's it's." I want to qualify. it Was not a giant dick, well, and, what was and it? it was not me caring. So okay, so I believe season two or season three of Silicon Valley. So that'll tell us exactly when we did meet. There's a bit where uh, they, we hire like a graffiti artist to do a mural for us, mm-hmm. and he, he makes a huge thing of me having. Can I say you can? Say, I just said the word penis. Oh yes, and I said the F bomb so okay fucking the statue of liberty oh it's wow like a so that's big what visual bit okay and it's huge right it's the size of a garage door yeah and there were two of them cuz there's the the bit slightly changes and so at the end of the season, they were going to throw it away.
0: So it's a giant garage door of you having sex with a giant Statue of Liberty.
1: Yes. Okay. I had assumed that the painting was a normal size painting that then they digitally made big for uh-huh. the show. Uh-huh. So they were going to throw it away, and I was like, Mike, can I have that, me fucking the Statue of Liberty? And Mike was like, sure. I was like, they're like, we'll bring it to you. We'll deliver it to you. <laughs> so my doorbell rings. Emily, my wife, is out of the house. Uh, I go out, and it's a massive flatbed truck and the painting is life size so it's huge it's bigger than i mean it's it would go on your garage it's huge and there's like tarp over but they take the tarp off and it's two guys and i had just moved into my house that week and it's a massive painting of me very graphic fucking the statue of liberty and it takes these guys 40 minutes to carry this painting into my house and all,
0: everyone across the
1: street is watching and it's funny to me because either they know the show or they think this new neighbor just commissioned a painting of himself fucking the Statue of Liberty, which is so awful. And so they bring it in and uh, I am like, I am stunned. I don't know what to do. It's, it took them 40 to 45 minutes. I am not kidding. Kids are walking by. Oh, my God. I'm, like, turning red thinking about it. But then uh, then it gets worse, right? Well, they bring it in, and it doesn't fit into my garage because it's too big. So they lean it up against the side of the wall, but the wall isn't that high. So you could see. But that, di- didn't your in laws come that following weekend? They were going to, well, what, they, were, they were about to show up. Yes. So I called <laughs> Emily, and they just, those guys drove off, as was their job. They were like, where do you <laughs> want me to leave it? And I was like, uh, propped against this wall, and it barely covers it. Like, it's like waist high. So you don't actually see my penis, it, but you could see that I am fucking the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> who was bent over and so i call emily i'm like hey emily um (laughs) when you come home there's gonna be a surprise for you so she got home and she's like so what are we doing about this and i was like leaving it here and she's like we can't and i'm like you're right she's like my parents are about to show up and so i called silicon valley again and i was like guys i am so sorry can you guys come and take this from me. <laughs> so they show up two hours later, same day. And now it takes them an hour and a half to, like, carry this painting out and secure it to the flatbed truck and cover it with a tarp. And, uh, and that was it. And, and then, from what I understand, um, they, it went back into storage. And the last thing I heard... It's in the Trump Hotel, right? No. <laughs> well, close. There was a VC who wanted to get it and lined the bottom of a swimming pool with it. Are you serious? Yeah, but I don't know what happened with it, and I don't know the name of the VC.
0: Oh, my God. That's amazing. I did not know that part. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of... Um, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> good transition there. Um, so there's a lot I want to talk to you about today, and I know there's things you want to talk about, but I, I have a question. Am I, can I ask you... So you have a movie coming out, which is hilarious, and I want to get to it. It's called Stuber. Yes. Did I get that right? Correct. Uh, uh, laugh Out Loud, Funny, Amazing. But are we allowed to talk about, like, Trump and things like that? Like, what's the story here? Uh Well,
1: you could ask me anything. I found uh, in the last year or a couple of years, I found me talking directly about Trump isn't really beneficial because what happens is, I mean, you know that the discourse online is not even a discourse, it's just people yelling at each other. I found that if I'm saying stuff openly... um, anti-Trump stuff i am half the people who agree already agree with me or agreeing with me and the other people who either are supporters of him or like are kind of sick of hearing about this just turn you off right so so you you were
0: really vocal on twitter especially during like the immigration stuff a couple years ago with the child separation at the border you and um and I don't really use Twitter anymore. Yeah, um, I've,
1: I've sort of just well, used for I, promotion. Well, I dropped
0: in last night to kind of see what you'd been chatting about, and it's mostly you're not really... Are you done? Are you, do you not use yeah. it as much? Yeah, I'm Who, done. And what happened?
1: It was too toxic. It's too... It's a scary, awful, dark place. And the, all that stuff about, you know, Jack not banning Nazis and stuff, I was so involved with that stuff, and it just was really disheartening when that stuff... Um, when they basically didn't do anything. And so it's really become a cesspool. And I, so I've sort of moved over to Instagram. I try and do that more. Are you just like taking selfies of your six pack now? (laughs) We're not there yet. (laughs) Um, But I I found Twitter and it's really, he doesn't have a six pack by the way. I don't have a six pack. Uh, (laughs) Um, Yet. Yet. Ask me in a month. I am actually working on it. Um, I, you know, and it's it's sort of the thing that first made my career. Before anything, I was like tweeting a lot and I was very popular on Twitter and it allowed me to start touring and stuff along with doing podcasts. But it's really, really turned. I mean, it's so, even, it's just become the language on there has become very antagonistic.
0: Well, so, here's, so one of the things I,
1: I like about you
0: you're very funny, you're kind of handsome. Thank you like so that. much. That's not the things That's I like. That's exactly what I,
1: Oh, like, you don't yeah. like those things. <laughs> no, the,
0: uh, but is that you actually seem like you care. Yeah. It, you genuinely do. Like the things you talk about, uh, the things you, you get involved with, the projects and so on uh you, you you seem like someone who gives a shit there's a lot of people whose careers take off in the way yours have who who go in the complete opposite direction and only care about themselves and so the question i have is and this is the question i struggle with and i'm sure a lot of people listening struggle with is when you turn i turn those things off like so let's just take take this week for example there was this this gut wrenching photo yeah of this twenty-three-month-old uh, yeah. uh, little baby who died with her father in her father's arms, crossing the Rio Grande because the border uh, wouldn't let her through. Right. Um, uh, it, it's really hard to look yeah. at. It had me in tears earlier. My wife also. And and um, and I it, and I. The reason that everyone knows about it is because people on social media are talking about it. Correct. And and I and, and I and the reason that. Back, you know, when the child separation stuff was going on at the border, was people were incredibly. Vociferous. That's right. So the que- I guess the question I have, and maybe you don't have an answer, but I'm just curious: is how how do you balance it? Don't is, do we have a responsibility to be
1: engaged in these conversations? And if so, where and how? And. I mean, that's something I think about a lot. I think that's a good point. You know, earlier I said that, and I used to have this conversation, I used to have this argument with Emily where she would say, you have to get off Twitter. The people who agree with you are the people who already agree with you. You're not really doing anything. But I was like, what you're doing, I think, is mobilizing people who agree with you. Or at least, that's the illusion. Or you're keeping things in the discussion, right? You're keeping it uh, open. So that's, that's still there. Um, I found... I don't know if this is so so I thought about this a lot because the last few years had really been have really been weighing on me and, and on everyone. I've for the first time I've not felt like myself. I've never had any sort of depression or anything. I don't have it in my family for, for the first time a few a couple of years ago, not to, you know, really discount people who go through it actually, but for the first time in my life I sort of felt like, oh, I sort of now have a little bit of a window into what uh Having something like this would feel like, right the hopelessness and all that, so I sort of thought I was like what can how can I make a difference uh while in a way that feels like true to me, and I thought, okay, so there are either you can fight against something or you can fight for something, you hmm. know, and there are people who are way better at fighting against stuff, and I think that's a very valid fight. I feel like I sort of am better when I'm going the other way rather than fighting something directly, sort of promoting a positive version of things.
0: So is that like the movies you're doing? or Trying
1: it- to, because I think the issue is, like this is the epiphany, not epiphany, but so we made a movie called The Big Sick a couple years ago. And um, I found a lot of people who would, talk about that movie, were Trump people. They liked that movie. Hmm. A lot of really, really right-wing people liked that movie. So when I would say something political, they would get upset. They're like, I was a big fan of yours after The Big Sick, but now I'm not so sure. That kind of stuff. So I was like, there has to be a way for art to affect and change people's way of thinking. Now it's hard because you make a movie that you're, you're spending two hours with them, everything else that they're watching, Fox News, or whatever it is, is literally the rest of their lives. Um, so so I, I think the only way that I can do something uh, is try and Trojan horse things into, into the work I do, because I do think speaking directly, I mean that picture you were talking about, right? There are some people who are devastated by that picture, and there are some people who are not devastated by that picture. And I think there's no hope for the people who are not devastated by that picture. Some people are going to look at it and justify it with, like, well, they shouldn't have come here or whatever it is. And I do think those people are hopeless. There's nothing to be done. But then sort of the other people, like my friend's parents, who are like, I'm just sick of hearing about it. I don't like him, but, you know, this is too much. Everyone's talking about him too much. And so I'm hoping that um, instead of speaking directly against stuff, me doing stuff, that... uh, portrays the ideals that are important to me has some sort of impact. Otherwise, it's, you know, I have to believe that. Otherwise, it's like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? What's, what is,
0: like, when, as we kind of rev up and we won't stay on politics too long, I promise. But as we rev up to now, we're kind of entering this era of, you know, there's the debates this week, there's the... I'm going to
1: start getting more engaged as we get closer to the election. So so I sort of pulled back then around the Is midterms. Is this where
0: you're going to announce your candidacy for president?
1: <laughs> I think maybe I'll run as a Republican. How's that? <laughs> that would actually be pretty amazing. <laughs> um, uh, so I sort of disengaged and for the midterms I, I sort of... Checked back in and did what I could do, um, and so at some point, I mean, I think right now the, the Democratic field is bananas. So wait a little bit, but as we get closer uh, to the next election, I'm going to start uh, chipping back in.
0: Who do you who who are you rooting for in the uh, debates?
1: You know, um, I, I, this is it, it's hard. I mean, I really like Warren. I like Kamala, um, Buttigieg. I've, yeah, I mean, it's so hard because I see people f- like I. Like, I know Biden has a lot of problems. Obviously, obviously, obviously can't stand him. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> no, no. No. I just
0: I think it's like fifty plus years in. You're the, still in, voting for him if it's him against Trump, right? You know, it's interesting. I thought about that and and i i would but i would be i would not be very happy about it honestly i just he, it counts the
1: same well, <laughs> <laughs> however you <laughs> put that all in fuck um, uh, hey, look, i and i completely agree about the biden thing you know obviously obviously um lot a lot of issues i like but i i named the candidates that i like with Buttigieg, you know i feel like he's had he's had some stumbles recently mm. uh um so We'll see. I think a lot of it's going to kind of
0: play out on the stage in the next, you know. I mean, I couldn't even name all of them. There's too many to name. It, you would literally be did here for the rest else, of the podcast. Somebody joined Somebody week? joined yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was me. Uh, yeah. I'm, running as, I'm running as an independent. I, I should have
1: remembered. Um, um, he, You know who dropped out? The Starbucks guy dropped out? Howard Schultz? Did he? Oh, not officially. He didn't officially drop out, but he's like... He's like disappeared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He well, said good. he had like back problems or something. <laughs> My
0: God! It's like Trump with his shin splints getting out of uh, Vietnam. Um, you know what's really scary?
1: It y- seems like there's going to be another term.
0: I I agree. It's terrifying. I I think that we should probably have a a brief moment of silence and a prayer for. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg to, to see if she, to make sure she's going to be around. Someone the next get five her years. some
1: orange juice. Yeah, put a helmet on her.
0: <laughs> she shouldn't be going out. She was at a, the theater a couple of weeks. Don't back. go to the theater. Don't go. You, you could fall
1: or some just, j- just, popcorn or something. Yeah, exactly. Just be laying in bed, taking <laughs> vitamin C, taking all your supplements. You know, she should get a blood boy like those VCs. Oh yeah, she, so she should be
0: pumping blood into. Yeah. You are listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. So, so you have been on the show Silicon Valley. Of course, you know that you were on the show uh, for six seasons now. Is that right? Is that- uh, sixth one we start shooting tomorrow great fantastic so sixth and final season
1: um is that exciting is that sad is it is it it's both Uh, first of all very sad i'll never have a job like that working with people i genuinely genuinely love on a show that i'm a big fan of that i think has something valuable to say a show that i would watch even if i wasn't on it um so i will certainly miss it but also we're going out on our own terms
0: so um just like seinfeld um so so the question i have is I remember when the show started and I was like a very pro-tech person. Love tech. Really? It was great. That's you know. so interesting. And now I'm like, <clears throat> I hate it. Like, it's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, we're building robots that are going to kill our children. Like, we're allowing China into... it. just the, the list goes on and on That's and on. That's right. So, social media, Twitter. I remember uh, I was at the New York Times and I wrote a piece, but I wrote two pieces Big pieces, one debating George Packer of The New Yorker, who's an amazing writer, and another debating Bill Keller, who was my boss, the editor in chief of the Times, both of them arguing about why Twitter was the greatest thing that had ever been invented. And uh, when was this? This is right around the time I, my book came out on Twitter, about two thousand and thirteen or so. Okay. And now I I just, You won. I won. <laughs> Good for us <laughs> yay uh no, I now I feel the complete opposite. I think that it's um there you know there's study after study after study showing how it affects uh kids and depression there's you know we've seen what happened with the election with Russia. We see the way Donald Trump uses it we see it we just it is not it is a cesspool there are, and and we see the way the people who now run the company and all of these companies twitter facebook all of them uh are, are just. They just don't care, uh, and so the question I have for you is: How does do you has your viewpoint changed? A yeah. and B. How does this relate to to the character you play on the show in the respect of how you feel about representing this place that has f- fucked everyone over?
1: Yes. Uh, so. There was like a couple steps of evolution. When I first was auditioning for the show, I would tell people, hey, I'm auditioning for this Mike Judd show called Silicon Valley. And they were like, is it set in the 90s? And I was like, no, there's crazy shit happening right now. This was 2011, 2012. And so at that time, I'm sure you were very aware of Silicon Valley, but nobody knew Elon Musk. There weren't these like personalities that everyone knew about people, you know. Um, just weren't aware of it. And then very quickly, it became the people started sort of worshipping these people. From the beginning, from, I remember, this is going to sound like me saying, you know, I knew it and I didn't know it, but when we first went to Silicon Valley to show the first two episodes, we met all these VCs and CEOs, and I remember all of us being like, oh, these are like amoral not oh, wow, even, really? Yeah, not, like, unethical, but sort of, like, um, aethical people. Like, they just don't care about this stuff. Like, their whole philosophy is tech is tech. It's not good or bad. It's how you use it, and that's not our job to 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 mandate, you know? So right from the beginning, it was like that. And then we would have these, um, they would sort of take us on these tours. So, like, big companies, I don't want to name, but if you name, you know, all the big companies, they would, like, have us over and they wanted to give tours of us. And they and I had I did a big like thread about this a couple of years ago. They would show us around and show the new technologies they were working on. And they were terrifying. The ethical implications of these technologies were terrifying and obvious. And we would ask them, we would be like, Isn't it isn't it bad that this and they had did not even have a fake answer ready to go they were stunned that we were asking the question because to them it all looks amazing right yeah they're like oh my this this person listens to you the entire time and then recommends things to you and you can never turn it off it's always (laughs) listening to you isn't that great and you're like what are you what are you talking about don't you understand the misuse of what if somebody hacks into it or you know in this video i take a picture of you i take 20 minutes of you talking and look here's a video of you talking and sounding like you and saying crazy shit isn't that amazing no, it's absolutely horrible. How can you not understand the ethical implications of that, right? But again, like I said, they were like, tech isn't bad. Tech is its own. It's, it's amoral. And still, when I tweet about technology, there would be many, many people talking about how it's not their fault. Technology is technology. The, the big problem is laws are not going to evolve fast enough to keep up with technology. And I think One of the big, obviously, climate change is a big thing. The other big threat to civilization right now is uh, lack of ethics in technology. I know that there are technology ethicists, and I've spoken to some of them, but they just don't have any power. There are people who are thinking about this stuff, but nobody's really listening to them. Does
0: this, when you're on the show and you know that you're giving people a window into this world, does is there a part of you that wants that to be part
1: of the story? Yes, certainly. More and more and more. And I've talked, <coughs> to, I've talked to people, I've talked to them about it, and having read the first, I don't want to give it away, having read the first three scripts of the season, um, you know, we've had now two years off from the show. When I would talk to Alec and Mike, I would be like, you know, when we were first doing the show, people didn't know exactly what was going on, so we were doing that, we were satirizing it. People didn't know how tech had ruined the world. Now people know how these tech companies have ruined the world. And I think we have to really confront that and talk about it. And so that is a big part of this next season.
0: So you studied philosophy originally and, ironically, computer science. Um, And uh, when you look at – so one of the things that I always struggle with and talk to a lot of people about is we always talk about like what separates – humans from animals, and um, there was a, a period of time for a long time where it was art. I don't actually think that's true. There's actually birds that make pretty pretty art, and there's an elephant that can paint. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course, the elephant the elephant. That paint, though, but that's not <laughs> right. the point. I think what separates humans from, from, um, uh, from animals is our ability to build tools and technology that help us, um, uh, you know, in a, in numerous different ways, and, the and that can be
1: technology, or it can also
0: be a system of laws
1: or government.
0: I think correct, it can be yeah, systems, yeah, you know. yeah. So, <laughs> the thing that I have struggled with is um, is that I am terrified of what these technologies are going to do um, in the future. You know, it's one thing for uh, for uh, you know our our social media accounts to be you know taken over by algorithms, and as as to
1: I kind mean, of algorithms are ruining us you read the article in the times about how youtube algorithms Mm -hmm. uh made someone into an alt-right person and then youtube algorithms took them out of it so there's no hope for this person this is not a redemptive (laughs) story arc at the end it was again an algorithm got they were not like, oh my god what am i doing they're still led by robots Well, well
0: but the question is is at the same time as these algorithms are being created to take people and make them into alt-right and this, that, and the other and rush to, to, to say who wins in, in the United States. They're also creating, you know, go back to the big sick, like they're creating technologies that are saving lives and identifying cancer before we know we have it and this, that, and the other. Is there, do you have a solution that do you think of that would enable us to make decisions as we move forward that aren't going to kill us? That's the first question. The second question is, do you actually think that technology will destroy humanity?
1: I do think technology will destroy humanity, even if it's climate change. That's still... I would argue that's still man-made technology that's doing it. Um, this going to sound... No, I don't think so. I remember... So when I was back in philosophy class, you know, in the, in the late 90s, I remember we were debating, like, the ethics of, like... There was, like, a... Like, China was trying to do human cloning, Right? And uh, and we were arguing whether that's right or wrong. And I remember specifically having the thought, I was like, it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. It's going to happen. Mm. It is going to happen. And that's how I feel about technology now. I mean, I don't think practically there is a way to not have technology ruin our lives. I mean, Facebook is so powerful. Oh, it's terrifying. It's, it, Facebook is so powerful. Twitter is so powerful. Amazon is so powerful. I mean, I, I don't... Do te- you use all these things still? Um, I don't use Facebook. Mm. I still have an account on there, and I tried to delete it, and they were like, send us two notarized letters. Is that why you...
0: <laughs> I'm not
1: joking. Are you serious? Yeah. They'd say- <laughs> it's crazy. I haven't used it in two years. Twitter I use for promotion. Instagram I use for promotion. And you know, do you you do? You I do know. use Amazon.
0: You're listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton.
1: So here's the here's
0: the big question. That yeah. I have, right. So I had this realization the other day. I'm I'm um, working on some projects that uh, to do with you know tech and the future and and all the bad things that have happened. And I had this really, I was laying in bed and. Uh, I got this alert, and it was like you've used your phone for 15 hours today. It wasn't that bad, but it's still pretty bad. And and I was thinking to myself, like, is this thing? We I, and I said to my wife, I was we were talking about Steve Jobs, and she was like, you know, a lot of people think he's like this the great creator who made this thing that changed the world, but at the end of the day, like the the negatives of this device in my hand are oh. are, in her opinion and in my opinion, actually do somewhat outweigh the positives, and and. I, it's great that you can take a thousand fucking photos uh, of your cappuccino. It's amazing. It's amazing that you and I can message each other. But, like, at the end of the day, if you took this device away, beyond the on demand things that you can get from like Amazon Prime, I actually don't think it makes our lives that much better.
1: I completely agree with you. When I am forced to be off my phone, I feel better. And I, you know, I try to institute a law like, no phone for the first ten minutes of the day. I got it from Zach Woods, who's on the show. I mean, no. So what do you do? You just you wake up and you just look at it. No, you don't do anything. You just with don't it. even talk to it. Well, but I don't. And, and days where I stick to that, I feel better. So you what? So what's your routine? You wake up, you go get a coffee. I would. Yeah, I'll wake up, go make coffee, make breakfast, sit, um, you- eat, and read. I will like read stuff I know, online yeah but i won't i'll try not to look at twitter or instagram or my emails or anything because here's the thing about twitter that i noticed is so i have like almost three million followers right it's not just the toxicity that's bad even if i say something and it's all positive responses i don't think human brains are meant to process that many people's opinions that oh, quickly. completely and so it's such an artificial setup and I think that weighs on you, not just the negative stuff, but also the positive stuff. We're not made oh, to use Twitter without without
0: question. Yeah. I I remember when Instagram first came out, mm-hmm. and I was I was wrote I think the second article ever on it, and I was obsessed with it. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever! Like, it's gonna change the way we take photos. And I've always taken photos. I've always had cameras as a kid and whatnot. And uh, and and then I became obsessed with how many likes something would get. And I remember literally going. There was, I was in San Francisco working at the times and I climbed this, I went, I left work early. I went to Pacifica and I climbed this hilltop and I was there alone, like trying to capture the sunset. And I was like, what, am, f- I what doing? am I doing? Yeah. And I, and I, I don't, I don't use Instagram anymore either. Like I you think don't know. I've, I've been on there. Uh, maybe I think I've posted two things in the last two years, maybe. Wow. Uh, yeah. I and, mean- it and, and. I will say the one benefit of Instagram is that if you unfollow people and you follow things you like, like I like old cars, uh-huh. it can become like a magazine. Yes, but I think posting to it is just as bad as posting to Twitter, and you're and
1: the you live and you die by the good and the bad. Well, I I I don't think it's just as bad as Twitter because. Cause, um, I mean, I post on it i don 't really read the comments on instagram i don't really feel like I want to because it 's not so much a conversation, whereas on Twitter, yeah, the illusion is that it's a conversation right i I think about this a lot when I was a, back in a com- computer science major I had a professor named john stone he's still there he was a he was a philosopher who was a c- computer science guy, and so he he was older and he had sort of been involved um, I forget what the name of this. These computer scientists, sort of, when the internet was coming out and technology, was, they, they made a system of ethics for it. It was, it was almost like a manifesto of, I, I, I can't believe that. They made this,
0: the, the early computer science folks?
1: Yeah, who had like a list of like, these are the rules and this is the thing. And it was extremely optimistic. And I remember, I I remember one quote that he had on his desk that was something like, The rise of the Internet is the promise of the return of voice that everybody, of true democracy, of everybody, everybody's opinion being able to be heard, which on paper sounds great. And the original promise of the Internet was you get to talk to people who you would never get to communicate with. You know, you get to discuss different points of view. You have access to people that you just would not have had access to. That was the good version of it what we're seeing now is a bad version is that you just talk to people who completely agree with you and then other set of people who completely agree with them and they just spin each other out and then they occasionally yell at each other um i (laughs) used to summarize twitter right there yeah Yeah. exactly i used to do a podcast about the x-files called um the x-files files files, right long ago i i did it and i started i had this idea i was like the x-files was the first tv show that had like, like a significant online fan base started in 93. So Google Groups has archived these old message boards going back at least, you know, 93. And so I would go and sift through and I would find old uh, conversations from 93, online conversations about the X-Files. And back then... Mostly universities had it, so mostly it was professors who had access to it. So the conversation was very civil. Everybody knew everybody's names. You could still see, you know, professor, whatever. You could see their real names. And it was a real discourse. It was a real conversation. People were talking about the show. And I remember the first time I saw... What is it called, those abbreviations, like AFK or BRB and stuff? Oh,
0: yeah, like um, ASL, H sex, location, I, and BRB, thought, I, BRB. I remember
1: when those started showing up. I remember when the first like emoji started showing up, like with the colon and the smiley face. And I saw from 93 to 98 how it became more and more antagonistic. I saw it happen. I saw people like getting upset at each other and, and calling each other names
0: <clears throat> on the on these old message boards. On these old message so boards. So do you know the story of the well? Uh uh-uh. uh So the um, uh, so back in the day, all these early internet pioneers created this um, this essentially it was essentially the first social network. It was called the Well, and what they did was wait. When was, was this? The Well. This was uh, thirty years. I mean, this is like a okay. long time ago. This okay. is pre X Files files message boards like beginning of the internet um you know green computer screens Uh and and whatnot hello world shit hello world shit and so um so they create this thing and people you have to use your real name this is just like the way they take it from the real world and and everyone start they're having conversations about like scientific stuff and and computer stuff and philosophy and oh it's like like the greatest place on earth for people to talk and and then someone suggests at some point they're like I want to talk about like really kind of personal stuff, like depression or suicide or like sexual orientation or whatever it is. We should create a part of the well where you can have an anonymous name, like you can call yourself Snuffleupagus One Two Three. And so they do it, and it's and it's all these scientists. It's, they didn't invite new wow. people on, right? It's all these scientists and philosophers and researchers that are are on there and are now allowed to create accounts. Instantly, it's like people telling them to go fuck themselves, like wow. attacking each other, like anonymously, uh, and eventually, of course, it shuts down. But that's my
1: philosophy of of what happened with places like Twitter.
0: Um,
1: I mean, that is so fascinating. Same people, which makes me think. You know, you were asking about what separates us from animals, and one of the things to me has to be. Uh, a society. I know animals have their own societies, but like a complicated society like this that requires a set of laws. And I realize, like those laws, uh, society works based on personal responsibility and accountability. And once accountability is gone, everything falls apart so quickly. You know, I never thought people talk about like the inherent goodness of man. I never believed that. I don't think that you don't believe that. Men- I don't think we have inherently a set of morals that we were born with a sense of right and wrong i think it comes from being in a society and what uh that's fascinating what, yeah what's r- right and wrong is based on w- what makes a successful society
0: do you believe um what religion were you raised islam is do
1: you believe in god or some higher power or purpose i mean i don't i i don't want to answer that question directly but I think I've sort of said it based on how I feel about the idea that there's no inherent right or wrong. Uh, so do you so you think that if we took see, I totally disagree with you. You think we're born with a sense of morality?
0: I think that we are born. I think that we are born with a sense of morality that and I look, I know like you can go look, you know, look at China, for example. China is a um is a society where Uh, individualism it's not like America where it's about it's about the state it's about you know and there is in some instances less morality um than there is uh over here but I think that I still think that and you can look at the Stanford prison experiment where the prisoners of course you know uh the prison guards became became awful I think at the end of the day the arc of history points towards goodness, and I think that um, that that, co- that collectively that there is some underlying current that that the the side of us that is good and just and moral pushes towards. And I believe that is the case because if we experience things and we don't like them, we are built with a thing called empathy, and that we we don't want that to happen to our kids and our family and our loved ones and so on
1: yeah I think empathy is much more limited than we think I mean people can look at that picture of that little girl and her father drowning and not feel empathy I don't think they're even fighting it I think people can be very tribal and if it doesn't (laughs) look like you then 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 fuck them and I I I in my experience have not seen any evidence of the fact that we are born with any innate sense of morality um and to me, uh, proof of that a little bit is, not to use an extreme example, but Nazis, right? I mean, good people, normal people, did I'm horrific... I'm so
0: glad we got to the Nazis. See, there
1: we go. <laughs> but they did horrific shit, right? I mean, you yeah. saw this this lawyer arguing for how safe and oh, secure... Oh, it was did awful. I'm sure that that person does not think of themselves as a bad person. She actually... I uh, saw. She, she went online and... Uh, to me, pe- that read like such... I, again, not to, I, I don't know no, about no, no. such, a, so when I did philosophy, I focused a lot on conditions and concentration camps. I read Origins of Totalitarianism by Hannah Arendt. I read um, Eichmann in Jerusalem, all that stuff. These people were just doing their job. They didn't think they were doing anything wrong. They truly didn't think they were doing anything wrong. So I think good societies make good people for the most part, and bad societies make bad people for the most part. This is
0: really depressing. What happened?
1: I know. <laughs> and I, I have never ever, I consider myself a very, very optimistic person. And I, until the last couple of years, have, I've always believed that. Not always, since I was like 18 or 19, since I started thinking about this stuff. I've always believed that, but it never used to depress me. In fact, it was inspiring.
0: You're listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton.
1: So what
0: role do you think comedy plays in society, especially we're, we're born with certain things, right? Like, animals don't laugh at each other. They don't tell jokes. I mean, they may laugh at each other, like <laughs> don't realize, it, but they don't tell each other jokes. Like, no. that's pretty, we can pretty much say like, we don't, I don't know if my dogs are thinking about like, why am I here? But I'm pretty sure they're not like telling each other jokes. Right. Um, and yet, Comedy is such an important part of of society. I mean, it's like I watched the movie that you have coming out uh, and um, uh, With my wife uh, this weekend and it was hilarious and we laughed out loud and There's these great lines that that I think about over and over again. that are just really funny and clever and it kind of took me out of this like this moment that we're in oh with the immigration God, yeah. stuff and Trump and 2020 and this, that, and the other. And, and there's part of me that actually, funnily enough, feels a little guilty about that, but there's also I part feel the of, same way. I, but I, and I, this is a question I have for you is like, but there's also part of me that thinks like, without that, we would all be this like depressed. Yeah. And yeah. so the question, I guess, is from a philosophical standpoint, what role do you think, comedy plays is this is this is it a safety feature like is it a feature Um, or and at the same time like how do you wrestle with the fact that going back to the conversation we started with about like what's important to spend your time on and the things the battles you pick about where to focus your time when it comes to like these comedic expenses
1: yeah I mean I have to believe that comedy has the um, uh, power to change the world I mean, I have to believe that. I don't know if that's a defense mechanism for the life I've chosen <laughs> to justify the life I've chosen. I have to believe that it does something, you know. Um, there is that thing that comedy is sort of like Wizard of Oz, you know. You go to this other realm, so and when then you come back, you can live your boring life better or whatever. It can be like grease for the capitalist machine or whatever. But I do think ultimately. Comedy is a great vehicle for a point of view, um, for opinion. And so I have to feel that if you're making a joke that has a strong point of view, like if I make a joke about that sort of, I don't know how I would do this, but then the core truth of the joke is that immigrants are human beings. I have to believe that if you laugh at that, that that gets inside you and that idea affects you in some way because comedy is such a primal response. It's not a learned response. Laughing is not a learned response. It's, it's very involuntary. And so I have to think that that involuntary response has to make you internalize whatever the core truth of the funny joke is. So, and I think it goes, I mean, you know, there's comedy on all sides um, representing all points of view. So I don't know what the role of comedy is in society. I don't know if it's like a safety mechanism. I do think that there's value in laughing at something and coming out of the malaise you're in and you know, renewing the fight, renewing your vigor or whatever. But I also uh, I think that it, it has to be able to affect change. Uh, otherwise, I mean... What else is there?
0: <laughs> I, well, I actually do think it does. I mean, I, it's also, I, you know, speaking back to, back to the Nazis. Uh, I mean, if you
1: look at, like, for instance, like Will and Grace, right? Yeah. I mean, it made people less homophobic. It really did. Yeah. Modern Family. It really, it really did. And now, obviously, we're in a weird new era, and I've seen, a, you know, I've seen comedy from the other side because I do want to be, I am interested in what's going on.
0: You mean comedy from the right? yes. You mean on the internets? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, on YouTube and stuff. I mean, there are very popular right-wing comedians. I don't want to name them. I'll tell you after the podcast. And
0: wait, are they funny? No.
1: Oh. (laughs) Those guys are not funny. But first of all, they're not funny because they're not funny. I, I like to think that as a comedian, even if I disagreed with a joke, I'd be able to understand the structure or whatever. They're not funny. But also maybe to me, they're not funny because I disagree with the premise so much, you know? Huh. Um, you, you gotta, I'll, if you want to get really upset, I'll send you some clips. Uh, maybe, don't do it. Don't, no, do, it. don't maybe, do it. Don't do
0: it. Don't do it. You know, I'll go, I'll don't hang out with it. my children and be happier Yeah. as a human being. Uh, all right. So last few questions for you, and then we're going to let you go to the gym and work on your six pack. Uh, <laughs> uh, have you, uh, as someone who has been steeped in the Silicon Valley world for a long time, I'm sure you've come up with some pretty good, uh, some pretty good apps
1: uh, <laughs> dude it's the last thing i want to think about <laughs> apps have ruined the fucking world i don't want i want nothing to do with it you asked me earlier i was you know my opinion towards silicon valley from season one was fairly negative and it has gotten more and, and more, more so negative.
0: so here's a question if you could if you could kind of i don't know if it's shut them down or if you had the power to do something to like the facebooks and the googles and the amazons you'd to name names um what would be the solution if you were the one that was deciding? If you like, if 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 Congress called you up, which could actually happen, I don't
1: know how practically you would shut them down.
0: But, but would you break them up? Would yes. You, yes.
1: I would. Uh, in a perfect world, I would kill all social media, and I think that there would be an adjustment period. But like like you said, I think ultimately it would be better for us, and I think people would realize that it would be better for us. I mean, it's changing the way kids are people are different now um okay but
0: you would kill social media and i'm just gonna push back because i've struggled with this but if it wasn't for social media would we have the me too movement would we have black lives matter would we there are positive
1: aspects to it um i mean there was a civil rights movement without without twitter it's true but um obviously there's good and bad but i think
0: that's Even. that's the thing about the phone that bothers me the most is that when you look at everything that it does it 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 hasn't actually it hasn't created anything new great it's just it's taken things that already exist and in some instances made it better but most of the time made it worse yeah for the people involved like there was a civil rights movement as you said before there was Twitter there was I took photos on a camera that wasn't digital before my iPhone. Like yeah. and those photos meant more than yeah. these things. I will say the one good yeah. technolo- the one good technology with the iPhone is um when they make those little videos of like here's you and your family over the last year and they play like the music Uh and like those make me cry yeah uh they're really sweet but yeah
1: no they've really figured it out they know
0: us. they know us uh but at the end of the day i i'm the the, every the more and more
1: i interact with it the more i'm i'm uh i find myself more than ever getting into a spinning thing and not being able to get out like you know and I think it has to do with phones. And even when I'm not on a phone, it's changed the way I think. It's changed my thought pattern so that it's, um, I'm sort of, I find it a little bit harder to focus on tasks as you sort of, because you're so used to mm-hmm. like moving yep. around and stuff. I think that's real. I, I don't think I have a big issue with it, but it's something that I've noticed that I am aware of. I mean, listen, I'm not saying there aren't positive aspects to it. Obviously, there are. But I think ultimately, I mean, the negative aspects are just so... You can name two or three good things and a million bad things. Um, Even the way that people talk about movies has changed. You know, even like small stuff. Like, I think film criticism has changed. Oh, completely. People, the, the way I see... You know, I follow... I'm a huge fan of movies, so I follow a lot of movie critics on there. Critics I like. And sometimes the way they talk to each other is so disheartening. Where I'm like, you're both smart people. Can't you have a better conversation about disagree- disagreeing on the quality of a movie than this?
0: Well, what I find really fascinating is if you want to go dig dig through the old archives, go look at like the Times and the Post and some of the criticism of movies like back in the day of like Ghosts and things like that. And <laughs> even when they didn't like it, yeah, it wasn't vicious. And no. now, yeah. I have friends who have movies come out and like you look at the reviews and you're like holy it's shit. an arms
1: race to see who can like destroy a movie the mo- in the most thorough manner so let me ask you this yeah. we talked about this very briefly uh, you wrote an article about it right how you thought that social media was on its way out at some point we're going to look back and be like i cannot believe we did social media for that 10 years of human existence or whatever do you still feel like it's going to go away uh, so I goes back to that story of the well and
0: I think that they shut it down and I think that at the, they did yeah because of what you said yeah and I think look here's the here's the thing I will say about like the people about people like me and tech and these are the these are and I say when I say people like me I'm people who who were enamored with it at one point um, who've covered this world um, who've lived it who've even built things in it is that. More and more you see – I've always felt that the people who were at the forefront, the ones signing up for it, identifying it, um, were kind of at the forefront of what was going to be the norm. And I remember when Twitter first came out – Signing up for it at like literally like uh, when it was at South by that first year in 2006 Getting on the phone with Jack Dorsey and Bistone and all those guys and like hearing about what it what they thought it was gonna be And I remember saying to this guy Mike Young who I worked with at at the New York Times in the research labs I was like we were like this is gonna be something like this is gonna be really big and and I was, I believed, I, I only looked at, and I'm an idiot for this, I truly do believe this, like, I only looked at it with rose-colored glasses. I didn't yeah. think, like, oh, what's the negative? Because I'd never really experienced firsthand the negative of technology, you know? I didn't grow up during the Cold War, or I did, but I didn't, I was a little kid. Like, And so I'd only, I only looked at the positive, and, and now, more and more and more, there are, it's not even people I know who have quit, it's, I don't know people that are on it like I I barely know anyone who uses Twitter personally anymore um, I still go in like a couple times a day because it's I just need to be aware of what I'm talking about when I have people like you on the show and um, uh, but I hate it I feel I yeah. feel I feel gross after yeah. like I just like got an STD or something and and I and I think I, I don't know I honestly don't know anyone personally who still uses Facebook. And when I look at all the people I know who worked at Facebook in the early days who have left the company and regret what they built, yeah, I think that um, I think that we will look back uh, one day and we will say to ourselves
1: like, "That was a big fucking mistake." But how will it shut down? I don't see Facebook shutting themselves down. I don't. You think, you think, that think it people shuts down... sort of pulling out enough and not doing it?
0: I think that there's t- there's two worlds. Like one is. Um, you know you're seeing you're seeing it more in real time right now like uh you, you there are more and more people did you see this this meme this last week uh, last couple of weeks um the country song uh um i forget the guy's name who sings it lil Nas x that guy no,
1: no i don't know the country song
0: i don't know the who the guy is but it's this it's this country song uh um and it's like where you I forget the forget the name, but it became there's a little there's a, a little verse in it where you like do this little dance and it's like you know grab your partner spin around I, and and I ended up like in this wormhole of watching it and it, and I was I said to my wife and um, I was like this is this is the good part of the internet like it's the fun cultural yeah. it doesn't justify all the bad stuff in any way shape or form and I would throw that out in heartbeat but I think that um, but the way that meme spread, it wasn't on Twitter, it wasn't on Instagram, it wasn't on YouTube, it was on TikTok. And and the reason I say this is because I think that, like, there is this undercurrent shift taking place. I'm not saying that TikTok is a good place, but I'm saying it's a different place. And I think that the reason people bounce from one place to the next to the next is for two things. One is they're trying to fight the algorithm that knows them better than they know themselves. And the other is they're, they're not happy in the thing they're in. And my hope is that enough people move from thing to thing to thing to the point that that these companies have no choice but to change or or they get eaten by something else
1: yeah uh i just had a couple thoughts one you know means is an interesting thing obviously it's sort of shared meaning and it's created by a community and i see the positive aspect of it but like all the responses with gifts and stuff i'm gonna sound like such a fuddy-duddy but i think it's people are getting worse and worse at expressing themselves and i think expressing i mean i think language separates us from f- fucking animals right and people are getting worse and worse at it and people speak in the same phrases they you know they reference the same memes yep. they use the same yep. gifts it's you know michael jackson eating that popcorn whatever and the first time you see it you're like clever you're like I had another computer science professor, Sam Robalski at Grinnell, who, and he wanted us to write papers about algorithms and, and this kind of stuff. And his thing was, he was like, do not use any phrases. Don't use cliched phrases. Like, I, like I don't want people to say, suffice it to say, find your own way to say it, or um, uh, that kind of stuff, right? So so, so, so he really was doc. A third of a grade, if you'd use a phrase that was sort of an autopilot phrase. Mm-hmm. And that really made me aware of how many times I speak in ways that are, you know, uh like everyone else. Like everyone else. Yeah. And I think these gifts are like an extreme version of that.
0: That I I I I, I can see that. I totally agree with that. I, I I completely see what you're saying. I just think I I think that there's a there is, a, there is a part of it that is positive, but it is it is not big enough. And, yeah, and I, I, and I see the positive too. Yeah, I've said this before many times on the shows that, that uh, Kevin Kelly, who helped found Wired and has uh, written a million books on technology and the future, he always says that, you know, if the technology makes something better 51% and worse 49%, then it's a good thing. Uh, it sucks for the 49%, but it's a good thing. And I think that social media has has flipped Not in the bad. other direction so far i think yeah. it makes it makes things better 5% if right. that right uh, um and and for me i think that um and i think that i think that for me like to, to get a little annoyed for a second here like when i look at these people that i've covered for for 10 12 15 years who have who, have, who run these companies uh-huh. jack dorsey Sheryl sandberg mark zuckerberg that you know uh, everyone involved at the top level of Google and even Bezos, like I think that it, it is—it's vile that they do so, and the and you know YouTube too, like that they do so little to uh, to try to make it better. And at the end of the day, all they care about is the money, and, yeah.
1: and the power and the attention. And the, the power is a big part of it. Yeah. I think I think Zuckerberg really likes that his platform is so powerful. He made something that changed civilization he really did the other thing i want to say is you know earlier we were talking about how i think morality is created by human beings in a society and, and i know that can sound a little cynical and negative i don't see it as cynical and negative i really think our relationships with other people community what we create together is literally the most important thing my relationships with people are literally what make me a person and and the morality that comes from that, even if we make it, doesn't make it any less beautiful or magical uh, or important. Well, it's interesting because we had Scott Galloway
0: on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He just has his new book out called "The Algebra of Happiness," and he did all this research about like what makes people happy. And he looked, you know, spoke to all these scientists and looked at all these paper. and And at the end of the day, he said the thing that makes us happy is our connections with other people. And yeah, that is it. It's not I'm, money. It's not. It's not things it's not you know yeah it's it's the connection to me
1: that's the core of being a person and I think everything that comes from that is truly beautiful and magical and 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 to me just as valid as stone tablets that say how we should act to each other you know it's it's something that we came up with together
0: alright so last two questions the first is I want uh, we're going to do something uh, we're going to do the the, the good and the bad we'll do the bad first because why the hell not so what is the thing that you're most worried about from a technological standpoint in the future or from anything standpoint and then the second is I'm going to ask you since you're a comedian and you're funny if you can kind of if we can end on a good note if you have like a funny story if you can tell Uh a joke if you can do a little
1: improv oh my god (laughs) Well, okay, so the bad, the thing I think about a lot, there's so much bad, but I think what's tech, what technology has done that is the most insidious, that to me is going to be the hardest to change in the way we see ourselves, is uh, devaluing privacy. Um, you know, I talked about reading Origins of Totalitarianism, and she talks about how people having personal private lives is very important to a just society, um, and technology has made it so that it's not even something that we value at all. Um, people want to live their lives completely publicly. And and it's funny that I'm the one saying this as someone who uh, is forced to live his life somewhat publicly. Uh, but I think that that's something that's really changed. Um, uh, you know, you'll have arguments with people. that They're like, who cares if they're listening all the time? I don't do anything bad. I don't care. I mean... Uh, to me, that's that, that's what really scares me. Even if social media goes away, well, maybe people will reset. The other thing I've learned from Twitter, you said, you know, how Trump uses Twitter and how Trump talks on Twitter. His sentence structure is everywhere now. Everybody talks that way. Have you noticed? Even people that you agree with will use that sentence structure, which is like something, and then sad exclamation mark or scary exclamation mark, whatever. Everyone talks like that, and and I don't want to name people specifically. But the way that the even the idea of truth has been eroded is used by both sides, I think. Yeah, completely.
0: Uh, I remember the first time the when Trump used fake news to respond to the Russia stuff, and then that was a term
1: coined to talk about news on the right that was fake.
0: Yeah. And he took that term. Yeah. And 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 instantly after he took it you saw all these Democrats doing the same thing and you were like, what the fuck? You're, just, yeah. you're literally making this a part of our vernacular and it's going to erode it on all sides. Yeah. So. Um,
1: all right, give well, us something. Come I don't on. know what's... Something okay, uplifting. well, I'll, can I just talk about the movie? Yes. I'll just talk about the movie. The movie's fantastic. Thank you, Stuber. So this goes back to what we were talking about. It, It's a very... Uh, it's like an action comedy from sort of like Lethal Weapon or Midnight Runner. It was like sort of a throwback action comedy, like a very dude, very male seeming movie. I thought it would be interesting if we were able to have a conversation uh, about masculinity in it. Um, and so that's kind of what was exciting to me about the movie. Uh, obviously, we're in an era where we're looking at masculinity and all the bad it's done. Uh, it does bad, you know. It obviously has been very harmful to women, but also to men. I think we're imprisoned by it. And so this, in this movie, we wanted to have that conversation. And I feel like pop culture, mainstream pop culture. You can make indie movies, and I love those movies. That have your point of view in it, but you're not going to reach people who don't, who aren't gonna go see that thing, you know. So I really feel the future, and I think Marvel and and all of them have this uh, responsibility, and I think Marvel is actually doing a pretty good job of it, of uh, using big mainstream entertainment to get um, ethical points of view out there. So, so I think that's like the great, like you know. And I think it's working more and more. I mean, look at Get Out, right? That, that's mm-hmm. a movie with a very, very strong uh, sociological point of view. And it was a massive hit. Yeah, I think people want that stuff. So I think that's going to be, I hope, the next big... I know entertainment is changing so much, and you've talked about it on your show with streaming and all that. But I think the next big movement is going to be uh, big pop culture stuff that engages with bigger ideas than it traditionally has. And that makes me even though it's not funny it makes me feel optimistic about the industry i'm in
0: oh i completely 1000% agree i think that the biggest responsibility and the biggest i think that you know years ago you know like bringing it back to where we started that picture of the little girl on the cover and her dad on the the drowned is on the cover of the new york times this week and years ago it would have literally changed the conversation in ways that you couldn't even imagine um uh when it in you know i think it was 30 40 years ago when there was the picture of um in in africa of a little yeah. kid bent over uh, curled over uh-huh. and there was a, a vulture behind yeah, it yeah oh my god um <clears throat> it changed literally changed the conversation it changed aid it changed everything in that photo the one of the problems i think with technology and the the news consumption that we do is that it's all kinds of blends together that's you go on the daily mail website and by the end of it you're like oh another person killed 17 people today like whatever and and i think that that i remember i had written a bunch of articles for the times about ai and all the things that could go wrong with it like eight years ago and it was literally like a olympic diver in the swimming pool just no one even talked about it. Uh, and and then X Machina came out. And it was like all people could talk about was like AI. And that was my first realization of like, oh, the conversation is switching where it may begin in the news industry. And the news industry still has a massive impact. But for a lot of things, it is actually going to be... Pop culture and film and books and things like that that are going to really kind of hit you with that tidal wave and uh, and and affect change.
1: Um, yeah, that's how that's how I feel, and so that that gives me that gives me hope and also something to try and work towards because you don't want to think that you're just making stuff to distract people.
0: No, it's and it's uh, uh, there's a the great line in the movie that I, I keep thinking about where your character is pulling up to the, like, projects in this ghetto house, and you're like, wow, this neighborhood hasn't been gentrified at all. Yeah. (laughs) It's like such a, even just that little line is like, it makes you think about, like, what's going on in the city. and Exactly. Exactly. It's great.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, When
0: does the film come out?
1: Uh, July twelfth, it til- comes out, and it comes out a week after Spider Man, a week before Lion King. It's it's tough in the summer, but I, I do hope people go see it because it's I am a great film. It's really very fun. proud of it. I'll tell you, I've done movies that I'm not proud of, and uh, I would not be talking about them like this. So I would say, of the things I've done, you know, I've been very lucky in that I've been a part of things that have that I'm really proud of: uh, Silicon Valley, Big Sick, Portlandia, and and now this movie. I, I feel like those are the things that. Uh, represent me in some way.
0: Well thank you so much for taking the time today. This has been fantastic as always.
1: Oh thank you so much for having me. We have a friend common, Lee Eisenberg. We do. And we're doing a show together. Oh that's right. There you got another thing. This actually I'm very excited about. Yes. It's called Little America. It's an apple TV Plus Production. show, yeah. yeah, and it's uh, Alan Yang is also one of the EPs. Emily, my wife Emily Gordon, and I are, are EPs, and we wrote we wrote uh, an episode. It's basically an anthology show based on true stories of immigrants. And uh, again, we didn't want to make a show that had an overtly political agenda. The only agenda of this show is that immigrants are human beings, and and that's it. You know, these are just like fun interesting stories to watch some are big some are small um but I, i'm really really proud of this show and lee's i mean done an, a wonderful wonderful job with yeah it. i can't uh, wait to see it yeah i'm i'm uh, i'm really excited that, that'll come out in the fall sometime and then when does
0: silicon valley come out
1: uh i don't think we have a date yet i don't know oh. i would guess if i had to guess i would say end of the year All pretty
0: right. soon cool well i hope uh i hope I hope it touches on the stuff we're talking about.
1: I hope it's a very angry season of television.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks to my guest this week, Kamail Nanjiani. If you enjoyed this conversation, and I'm sure you did, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. That's me. You can find these on Apple podcast radio.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to leave a review while you're there, preferably a really nice one. No one cares if you, all you have to say is something negative. That pretty much sounds like my podcast. Anyway, thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for the production work. And, of course, to my sponsors this week, Lightstream, Fiverr, and BetterHelp. Please support them the same way you support this podcast. Go to their websites. Check out the offers they have. Thanks so much. I'll see you all next week.